Welcome to the midweek services of Ranchero Drive Baptist Church. I certainly appreciate those of you that will be tuning in via Facebook or through our website. We're so glad to have you, and I hope that as you bring your Bible uh, each week that you'll follow along with us and that you'll enjoy these lessons. And tonight we want to start something new, a series that's going to carry us over for several weeks, uh, probably for at least six months, I suppose. And what we want to do is we want to take a survey of the Old Testament books and see how they fit in in its relationship to the New Testament and so forth. And you've heard me say before that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so uh, as we begin this tonight, I trust that this will be a blessing to you and increase your faith in the Word of God. And beloved, you've heard me say it before, we must always learn to put the Word of God above the words of men. It's so vitally important. And we know that without faith, we cannot please Him. And so I'm praying that uh, through these series of lessons that your faith in the Bible will increase and therefore your walk with God will increase. So let's begin by, by just examining some things in general about our Bible. We want to do a little overview tonight. And you know that the Bible contains some 66 books. These books, if you will, are divided into two major sections. You have the Old Testament consisting of 39 books, and then you have the New Testament consisting of 27 books. And each of these two uh, groups, 139 and the other 27, are arranged in a certain order, and they are done so by divine design. Sir Walter Scott said this, he said, within this wondrous volume lies the mystery of mysteries, happiest they of human race to whom their God has given grace to read, to fear, to hope, to pray, to lift the latch, to find the way. And better had they ne'er been born who read to doubt or read to scorn. And so even Sir Walter Scott knew the value of the Word of God. And so tonight we want to begin our journey as we take this survey. How many of you remember skimming a rock across a pond or maybe you were at a lake someplace and you found a good flat rock and you threw it out there and you wanted to see how many times you could skim it? Well, that's kind of how we're going to approach our view of these 39 books. And we're going to take them individually and go through them and, uh, and not necessarily in a verse-by-verse -verse fashion, but in a general overview, kind of the bird's eye view, and hit the high points, the major points of each of these books, and see how they fit in relationship to each other and to us as believers today. And remember, you say, well, Brother Ed, we're a, we're a New Testament church. This, we're in the, the period of grace, the New Testament times. But you must not forget what Romans 15 and verse 4 says. It says, knowing this, that the things that were written aforetime were for our learning, and that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. What was Paul talking about there? He was talking about the books of the Old Testament, the contents of the Old Testament. So let's begin tonight by understanding something about the authorship of the Old Testament. Now, now listen, a lot of times, you know, when we think about God, we think about Him being the Creator. We think about Him being Redeemer. We think about him being shepherd, but he's not always thought of as an author. 
And yet we know that to be true. So if you have your Bibles tonight, let's look at the first of these passages I want you to see. Turn with me, please, tonight to uh, the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 3. And uh, I'd like you to find your place in verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, a familiar passage of Scripture. Notice what it says, and thank you for turning. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That word perfect there in verse 17 is speaking about our maturity. And so the Bible in part has been written to me that I might understand something about the need of redemption, my relationship with God outside of the family, outside of the family of God. And then once a person's been saved, then God wants you to read your Bible that you may grow in grace. And so here uh, unto maturity. And so here we see that God is the author of scripture. Notice how it put that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally God breathed. Now we know some things about this. I also want you to to, uh, to think about this with me, that you know the Lord has used human instruments in the recording of his word. So we have, we have a divine authorship, but we also have human penmanship that is at work. And, and I want you also to notice or to know, uh, turn with me to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, and look in verse 12. You say, yeah, brother, the, the, the Bible was written, yes, a long time ago, that's true. It took some 1,500 years to compile it and so forth. But I want you to look with me in Psalm 12, and I want you to see something. Not only has God inspired his word, but God has preserved his word. A lot of people say, well, the only place, you know, the only place where, it, where inspiration is of any value is in the originals. Well, the only problem with that thinking is, is that no one has the originals anymore. And so uh, they, have, they have been lost or destroyed down through the ages. But the same God who was able to inspire men to write is the same God who has preserved this word. And so what I have in front of me tonight and what you have in your lap tonight is the preserved word of God, the very inspired word that is inerrant. That means it contains no errors. It is infallible. It's the only source of truth on the planet. And, uh, and not just the concepts, but the very words of the Bible are inspired of God. And notice what he said. I asked you to go to Psalm 12 with me and look in verse 6. Notice what it says. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So we have the Lord's word on this, that he has preserved this word for me and you. Now, listen, God has used different uh, human instruments to record his words, some at different times, some with different styles, and some also with different backgrounds and professions. Some of them <clears throat> we're going to look at just for a little bit. The first one to record the scripture is Moses. Moses is the first to record uh, his word, God's word for us. The last one, if you will, is, uh, is uh, John. And John, when he writes the book of Revelation. And uh, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. And John records that for us. And so Moses is the first to record those scriptures. 
Look at Exodus 17 with me. We're going to go to a few places, and I hope that you'll keep up with me. Exodus 17, that's the second book of the Old Testament, Exodus 17. And look with me, please, in verse 14. Exodus 17, and look with me in verse 14. Notice what it says. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And so the Lord gives the instruction here to Moses to record this word. Look also in chapter 34 and look with me in verse 27. Exodus 34 and look in verse 27. I'm turning there. I hope that you are as well. Verse 27 Notice what it says. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And so Moses is the first to write, and God gives him the instructions to do so. And uh, there are different types of writings, different styles that we're going to find within these 39 books of the Old Testament. Some of them are in prose. Some of them are just in the, in the daily recordings of what has happened, what God inspired them to write. Sometimes it's in poetry, as the, all the songs that, that David wrote, and some of those that we read after a man named Asaph. He was David's song leader. Sometimes it's prophecy, like the book of Micah. You know, that's coming up an important one about old Bethlehem Ephrathah, though they be little. In other words, there was, a, there was a prophecy about what city the Lord Jesus uh, was going to be born into when he entered into this world. And it, it named specifically Bethlehem some 700 years before Christ's birth. It gives the very town. So sometimes it's prophecy. And then sometimes it's in parables. Even the Lord Jesus using parables. And you know what we say about those. Those are those, if you will, those, uh, those earthly stories with heavenly meetings. And, and so there's a variety of styles that are written here. And we also know that, that some of the backgrounds and professions of these human penmen were very different. Some were shepherds and statesmen like Moses was. Some were military men like Joshua. Some other were religious men, leaders of their day like Samuel was one of the prophets. Some of them were merchants like Amos and then others like Isaiah. Boy, they were statesmen and dignitaries. Isaiah was accustomed to being in the presence of kings and so forth. And, uh, and then there are men like Amos who said, I, I'm not a prophet, neither the son of a prophet. And Amos was just an old, sort of a rough farmer, if you will. And, uh, and so we have each of their writings and God used those personalities and their perspectives and inspired those men to write and record what we have here in the Old Testament. And so let me say something else about this. What, when, when you read your King James Bible, it's what we use here at Ranchero Drive, and we use it for some reasons. I may or may not get to some of those things, but, uh, but, the, but the Old Testament that you find in the King James Bible is often referred to as the Masoretic Text. Now, the Masoretes were Jewish uh, custodians, if you will, scribes and the like, of the Old Testament scriptures, and they were very meticulous in the recordings and in the copying of these uh, pages of the Bible. 
And uh, in other words, like if they were writing the name Jehovah, they couldn't use a new quill, if you will, a new pen, so to speak, because they didn't know how that name was going to turn out or how all the letters would look after being used with that new quill. So it had to be one that was t uh, tried and tested and that it would give an accurate uh, uh, marking, an accurate manuscript when they used it, particularly when they were writing the name of Jehovah. They also, once they started the name of God, they could not be interrupted regardless of who came into the room. And so they were very, they were very concerned, particularly about his name. Something else also about them when they were making copies, the Maserite, they assigned a numerical value to each letter that they used, and then they would add those up, much like how uh, an accountant, if you will, when he's doing a balance sheet, he can, he can add the numbers up and then add that total up, and then it comes, to a, it comes to a figure, the sum of all those comes to a certain figure, and if they made an accurate copy when they gave those values and added them all up, they would have an identical sum as what was on the very first page. Well, the same thing was true when they were, when they were copying pages of these Old Testament books. They would sign, assign a numerical value to each of the letters involved, and then they would, they would add those across and then add them down, and uh, they had to have the exact same numerical value in their sum to be an accurate copy of the Word of God. And so when what we have in front of us, I mean, we have something very special that's been preserved for us over the centuries, and God has not failed in the recording of this Bible. And when you and I see a conflict or we think there's an error, the problem is not with the book, the problem was with us, and we just need more light for us to be able to understand what is being said. And so we know that these men did not speak from a private interpretation point, but these holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so there are no contradictions in your Bible, according to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. So we've seen sort of the overview and the authorship well, let's talk now this evening about the arrangement of the Old Testament. I think this is very interesting. Now, there are three general divisions that are given to the Old Testament books, these 39 books. You have the first 17 of, of these books, which is comprised of the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. And then there are 12 historical books that follow these five for a total of 17. And then you're going to, we're, then we're going to see that there is a middle five, 17 of these first ones, and then a middle five. Those are the books of poetry. And then there are the last 17, if you will, that are made up of prophecies. And so here in this first 17, we have the Pentateuch. Let's look at that. The Pentateuch, it gets its name from, the, from the, the number five, that's what Penta is, and these are the first five books of the Old Testament, and they were written by Moses, and we know that to be so. Go to John chapter five with me in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus here is dealing with, uh, with folks who did not believe who he was, and, uh, and so the Lord is going to validate these books for us as we look at them and as we examine them. So the, the first five books, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 
Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these were all recorded by Moses. And I want you to look at this with me. I asked you to go to John chapter 5, and I was giving you time to turn there. Look with me, please, in verse 46. John chapter 5, verse 46. Notice what he said. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Uh, what I, I, if, if, unless you don't understand this, what I want you to see is that the Lord Jesus just validated these first five books of the Old Testament and said that they are true. If the Lord would have said that these things were true, and, and if they were not true, then he would be found a liar, that he could not have been the Savior of the world, he could not have offered himself on Calvary and it be of any value. Why? Because he would have sinned. But we know that that is not so because we know that these first five books, they are in true, they are true from, from beginning to end of those first five books. And it's very important. Many scholars, so-called scholars today, want to dispute particularly the first 11 Book, correction, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And why is that? It's because that, that is where so many beginnings are going to take place. And, and when we get to the book of Genesis, we're going to examine that a little more closely. But what I want you to get tonight is, is that the fact that the Lord Jesus verified for us and validated to us that these first five books of the Old Testament are true and can be relied upon and they are accurate and so they have they are referred to as the torah they're also referred to as the law or the books of moses so you might be reading another book or maybe you might hear someone preach and refer to the books of moses what they're talking about there are the first five books of the old testament then i want you to notice or the, what I want you to see, first of all, their number is five, and the nature of these first five books is historical. They have a historical value, recordings of life in the garden and then life outside the garden, and, uh, and some of the events that will take place, and some of the characters that we're going to see coming up in the next few weeks. But I want you to get this first part. So the first, one, the first five are the Pentateuch. Then comes the next 12, that's Joshua through the book of Esther. Esther's a unique book in the fact that God's name is not mentioned one time, but God's hand is very, very visible. And, uh, and so these next 12, the first five being the Pentateuch, the next 12 that make up these first 17 books, they are historical in nature, and they include Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now, Joshua to Esther make up this second main group of books in the Old Testament. Now, listen, they are further subdivided. These 12 are further subdivided into two groups. The first nine are what are referred to as pre-exile, pre-exilic, 25-cent word, which simply means it's the history of the nation of Israel before they go off into exile as a result of 
the, uh, as a result of Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrians and so forth that will come along. The last three of the 12 books are referred to as post-exilic. After they are in the land, uh, they're in Babylon. That's where, and with King Ahasuerus, that's where the book of Nehemiah is involved. And the, the book of Esther and so forth, as you read these books. So remember, these first nine of the 12 are about the history of Israel while she's still in the land that God gave to Abraham. Those last three of these 12 are written about life when they were in captivity, when they had been deported and were now in the area of Babylon during that period of time and also during the period of what's called the Medes and the Persians. And that's where Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are, are uh, written about. And so, so these, these two areas here, pre-exilic and post-exilic. I know that sounds like a kind of a highfalutin word, but it's just an easy way to, uh, to break these up. So as you're going through and you're reading through your Bible, and I hope you do that, as you read through your Bible and you come to these books, it helps you to understand the, the setting of what's taking place when you start in the book of Ezra. Then you get, to, you get to Nehemiah and how they want to come back in the land. And then you get to the book of Esther about life for those Jews while they were there under Artaxerxes or King Ahasuerus is his name. And so they are historical and they are valuable that we might see what life and the culture was in those days and what Israel had to endure as a result of her rebellion and God moving them off of the land. So these first 17 books, the first five are the Pentateuch, the next 12 are books of history divided into those which happened before they went into 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 captivity and the last three of that group which are life while in captivity. Then we come to the middle five books and these are the books of poetry. You're probably familiar with these, I'm sure. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And so these names are different right away from those that we just saw. You know, those the names of the other books, they were about individuals like Joshua, Ruth, Samuel, and, uh, and Esther, and so forth. But these are not about a particular named individual, but rather these are, these are personal in their nature in that they are written by folks who, uh, who have lived at different times, and these are some of their personal experiences that they are recording for us that we might see the hand of God in their lives. And as Romans 15 and verse 4 teaches us, that we might have hope. But in other words, in what God has done for them in the Old Testament, he will do for us today. Because God was faithful to them in their individual needs, he will be faithful to us today. And remember what, is, what did the writer in Hebrews say? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is immutable. He doesn't change and he cannot lie, beloved. You and I, we must believe that if we're going to come to the word of God and get wisdom from above. We must ask in faith. So these middle books, they are poetry and they are songs. 
And rather than being historical, these are personal and practical. And you know, sometimes what I, what I like about the Psalms in particular, I, I say this, is that they were forged on a cold anvil of life. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? What I just simply mean is that, you know, life is not fair. And life can be difficult and life can be hard. But I thank God that there is some grace and mercy available for the child of God. And as you see in David's life, as he's writing these things, as you see from Solomon's perspective, as you see some of the things that, that, uh, that Jeremiah writes, as we look at these things, then we can see the hand of God at, at work, not just in a national sort of way, but in a personal way. And beloved, I'm telling you, if you'll be real to him, he will be real to you. He wants to work in our lives personally and practically just the way that he did in the lives of these individuals. And so, so as we see these things, all right? So these books, they deal with the problems of the individual heart of man. And, and isn't it so that we have some problems? Man, I, I don't know about you, but I needed to be saved. And as I think about you and look upon you, I know that you needed to be saved. Every man, woman, boy, and the girl needs to be, in this world, needs to be born again. And we have problems, and Christ is the answer to those problems. And so here we find these middle five books, and they are books of poetry, but they are personal and they are practical. And what we see, we get to observe how their relationship with God developed and what the Lord did for them in his faithfulness. And then we come to the last group in our overview tonight. We come to the last group, and these are the last 17. So we've had 17, the Pentateuch and those 12 books of history. But excuse me, then we've had the middle books, the, those five books that are books of poetry, if you will, personal and practical. And now we're coming to the last 17 of these 39 books. And these are the prophetical books. And these books are divided up into two groups as well. The first five are considered the major prophets. Major prophets. And the last 12 are considered the minor prophets. Now, listen. They're not minor because they're of lesser importance. They're only considered minor because they, are not, they don't have the length that the major prophets have. In other words, some of them are just a, a chapter or so, and others are just a two or three chapters. The major prophets, you know, like Isaiah and so forth, some 66 chapters in that book, as compared to some of the others, like you might find in Micah or others, or Obadiah or Habakkuk, just three chapters. And, uh, and so therefore, those are considered major, and these others are considered minor. And, uh, and so let's look at them. So, these, so the major prophets, these uh, initial ones, if you will, they are, they are the, uh, the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. These are the first five, all right? 
and the rest going from Hosea to Malachi are considered the minor prophets. And so the major ones and the minors. And now the, these minor ones uh, of these 12, they are divided. Remember when we had the historical books in the first 17, the first nine of those 12 was when they were still in the land. And, uh, and what life was like there. And then the last three were after they were deported and after they were in captivity. Well, the same thing is going to be true here. The first nine of these prophets, if you will, in that minor group, the first nine, all have to do with life while they are still in the land where, where God's prophets are dealing with them about turning back to God and not going after strange gods, and not taking the culture of the, of, the, uh, of the heathen of their day and of their land. And he warns them about that in so many ways amongst these, quote, minor prophets. So the first nine of those 12 are those that take place while they are still in the land. And some of those prophets are to, are to Judah, down in the south, and the others are to what is considered Israel. Now, you've got to know a little something about the history here. There was a time when the kingdom was all together, and the last king, if you will, of that time frame was Solomon, was Solomon. But when Solomon died, he inherited the kingdom, you know, from his father David. And when Solomon died, the kingdom was divided between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam went to the north and took 10 tribes with him. Rehoboam went to the south and kept two tribes with him. And so now we're going to find that during the course of these prophets that we find, the minor prophets, some of them are going to be prophets to Israel and some of them are going to be prophets to Judah. And, uh, and so too, as, as, as they go through these things, I know it may seem a little complicated here, but it's really not because the kingdom is divided. God sent prophets to each of those kingdoms, if you will, in an effort to bring them back. God wanted to restore them in the right relationship and their fellowship. The Lord had made promises to them, but the nation of Israel didn't keep those promises. And so what we have to remember is, is that God chose the nation of Israel that, he, that they might represent Jehovah God to the world, that their relationship with God would make the other nations thirsty for a relationship like what they had. And so, and so that changed because Israel dropped the ball there, so to speak. Now that has fallen upon the church today where we're to bring glory to his name. That's why it says in the book of Ephesians, it says, unto whom be glory in the church. And so there was a time when Israel was to bring God, the knowledge of God, to the world. But when they got off track, when they sinned, when they rebelled, just like in the book of Judges, one of those, one of those historical books, while they were still in the land, they would get into trouble and God would send a deliverer. They would get so tired of being overrun by the Midianites and by others and so forth, and the Philistines, many of their enemies, and they would pray and finally cry out to God, and he would send a deliverer. And as long as that deliverer was alive, 
Israel behaved and did what they were supposed to do. But when that deliverer died, they went back to their old ways. And eventually God moved them off of the land. And both the northern kingdoms, that northern kingdom, they fell in 721 B.C., Judah fell in 587 B.C., some 250 years later. And all because they would not return. But God sent prophets to both kingdoms. Why? Because he was wanting to restore his people back. Wanting that fellowship that he might have. You see, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is considered to be the wife of God. It's in the New Testament where we are considered to be the bride of Christ. And so God is wanting to reach the world through the church today. But as we examine this Old Testament, these last 17 books of the 39 that make up the Old Testament, that we've got those five major prophets, and then we've got the 12 minor prophets, and those 12 are divided up, nine of which all take place while they are still in the land, God is sending them a prophet. Come back to me. Come back to me. Don't go this way. And even God will send prophets along that will say, look, look what's happened to Israel. Look what's happened to your sister. Don't let that happen to you, Judah. But it was like it, it just sort of fell on deaf ears. And even though 250 years elapsed, they stayed in the land 250 years longer than the, than the northern kingdom did, they nonetheless went into captivity. And, uh, and it's a shame. I mean, it's a grief. But here we find these nine pre-exile and the last three are post-exile. And so what, is this an accident, the way that God did this? So we have 17 of the historical books, five of the poetry books, personal, and then we have the last 17 that are prophetical. 17 and 17 are 34, and the five in the middle make up the 39 books of the Old Testament. Well, let me ask you a question. Is this by accident or was it by design? I, I, I say to you, it, it, it was by design. Think of it. Over 39 writers contributed to the Old Testament. And they were spaced out over some 1,500 years, 1,200 years, correction, 1,200 years. We're talking about the Old Testament. Some 1,200 years, writing in different places to different groups of people for different purposes. And little were they dreaming that their writings, besides being preserved through the generations, were eventually be compiled into the unity that we now find in the Old Testament. And there is a unity in those books. Things that were things that were spoken about, things that happened. I, I'm thinking about like when, when the Gibeonites came along in Joshua's day and they were made hewers of wood and drawers of water. And it was a promise made unto them. And then years later, years later, Saul comes along and undoes those things and man... The Bible talks about that period of time. It was a, a prophecy, if you will. And it was mentioned long before. And Saul had no clue that he was actually fulfilling something that had been written. And so, beloved, what I, what I, want, you to, what I want you to be assured of is that what we have before us is, in fact, the true and perfect 
preserved word of God. Look with me in Psalm 19. I want you to go there with me. Go to Psalm 19. If, you'll, if you just lay your Bible open and split it in half, you'll come to the book of Psalms right in the middle there. <clears throat> and I want you to find Psalm 19 with me. I love this particular psalm. And I, I want you to notice what's written here. David writes this. Notice what he says about our Bible. Notice what he says. Look with me in Psalm 19 in verse 7, beginning in verse 7. We're going to close with this. Notice what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect. Wow, imagine that. Notice what it does. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. Now watch, look at this last line in verse 11. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Beloved, there's just a reward for you and I keeping these truths, believing them, and, uh, and if you will, respecting them in the way that God intended. And so it's a converting word, it's an instructing word, it's a rejoicing word, it's an enlightening word, it's a desirable word, and it's also a warning and rewarding word for me and you. And so I, when you read your Bible and you're reading something out of the Old Testament, just don't say, well, I, I, you know, we're in a different time. That was a long time ago and it's not important. Hey, listen, remember Romans 15 and verse 4. Knowing this, that the things that were written aforetime were for our learning. There's some things in this Old Testament that you and I need to learn. And we're going to take our time and go through this and Lord willing, when we meet next Wednesday, we're going to start on the first book in this series, and that's going to be the book of Genesis. And man, it's an exciting book because, because of the characters that are there and because of the events that take place. And I'm looking forward to opening that up and, uh, and uh, us examining that word together. So I pray that you'll get something from this. Remember our 39 books, 17 of history, 5 of poetry, and 17 of prophecy. And, uh, and so I hope this has been a blessing to you tonight. And so let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the preserved word of God. And what a privilege it is that we have it today in our own language. And we thank you, dear God, for the effort and work of others. Lord, you said that you have magnified your word above your own name. That's how important it is to you. And I pray, Lord, that it may become that way to us. May we mix faith with what we read and what we have heard tonight. And then, Lord, may we mix faith with what we study and examine on our own in our homes. And I pray you'll bless our people tonight and bless those that are watching, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.